Skills. Objects of indeterminate origin have sought entrance into my epithelium through my outer covering, Gladys. You're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard the Driving Stupid with Green Things Have Entered My Skin. Today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, interviews with the Arcade Fire and AFI. And right now, we're going to play a local band from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and then the interview with the Arcade Fire. This local Vancouver, British Columbia band is called Caravan. And then an interview with the Arcade Fire, and then an interview with AFI.
Who are you? I'm Jeremy. From? From the Arcade Fire. And Jeremy, who'd you have beside you? I have Sarah with me. From? The Arcade Fire. Welcome to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Sarah. Thank you. Jeremy, who is Captain Eyeliner? <laughs> uh, that's me when I was 17, 16, 17, 18. Well, then who was Germachunk? That I don't know what that is. Germachunk. Who is Germachunk? No idea. What nicknames do you call Jeremy? Um, J-Balls. <laughs> J-Balls? Yeah, that's the current one. Does that deserve some clarification? No. There's J-Balls. There's uh, Jalelemy because uh, I took a plane one time and they replaced all the E's in my name with an L. But why J-Balls? I think everybody in the band has a balls name. Abbreviate like you'd be N balls. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I feel honored. <laughs> Who'd be A balls? Isn't it cute though? N balls, J balls. N balls. So actually, with that in mind, could you please introduce the rest of the Arcade Fire who are not present right now? Uh, there's by their balls name. There's our balls and reels. There's R balls Regine and R balls Richard and W balls Win and W balls Will and uh, I'm. Uh, T-Balls Tim. T-Balls is the original, Tim. And uh, and then we have some extra people with us now. Kelly, K-Balls, Colin, C-Balls, Marika, M-Balls. I think I got it. You got it. I like C-Balls. C-Balls is good. T-Balls is like, because, you know. This is my boyfriend, too. I like that you like C-Balls. Well, I like C-Balls, too, because it sounds like cheese balls. Uh. <laughs> I like T-Balls because of the sport. <laughs> Well, I like cheese balls because they're cheesy, and I understand there is a theme of cheese on this new record that you guys have put out. I have not heard that yet. <laughs> yes, there's a big cheese theme. Do you know that, Sarah, of the Arcade Fire? Well, I just I know about the cheese theme backstage. What is the cheese theme backstage? A lot of cheese. It's a lot of cheese. Especially with Eugene. I mean, after the show, she likes cheese, you know. It's like her nightcap. We all love cheese. However, I think the songs actually relate to cheese, and that made me really excited. The song Lighthouse, I understand, has a bit of a cheese reference. <laughs> I'm going to make the same pace. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, was it not based on some sort of allegory about a wolf and a fox? Oh, that is a good point. Yeah, the, the, who jumps in the, in the, the well to looking for cheese because he thinks the moon is cheese, but it's the moon. And jumps in. There you go. <laughs> so let's backtrack a bit. What was I talking about? What is the cheese theme with the Arcade Fire, Sarah, now that Jeremy has cleared that up? But that was still just like a, a, a lost reference that wasn't even in the front, the focal part of our brains in that song. It's not like we're thinking about cheese all the time. Maybe. Well, you are with the backstage cheese and cheese balls. Cheese crosses everyone's mind probably once a day. So who writes the songs in the Arcade Fire? Uh, Wynn and Regine are pretty much responsible. And she was responsible for the cheese song then? Uh, well, that's like an old myth. Yeah, Is it was not? written ages ago. Yeah, it's, it's Aesop's Fables, I think. They just took that and sort of translated it into a rock song. But I guess she is responsible. She was, may have been drawn to it for that reason. That's Bring on the cheese. It could be. <laughs> And Sarah, is it time to bring on the chocolate fountains? Perhaps. What is the deal in chocolate fountains and arcade fire? You talked about seeing chocolate fountains. When did I talk about that? Okay, we, we only ever had one chocolate fountain, but it was really good. It was great. It was at the Grammys. Yeah. It was one of those things where 
we were at all these crazy parties and like we all kept like huddling by the chocolate fountain because it was it was it was a good time. <laughs> it's great chocolate, very fresh fruit. Uh, the booze. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to talk to Pamela Anderson because we're from the same town, but I, I couldn't. I was busy by the fountain. The chocolate fountain. <laughs> the sad it's truth. I was like, hi, Pam. <laughs> we really wanted Sarah to talk to Pamela Anderson because they're from the same city. And I heard we heard she was really nice. And Sarah was just like, no. I was feeling it was four in the morning. I was all done. I was full of chocolate. Probably a little like, you know, on, on edge from the chocolate. I don't know. I'm not good at those things. Sarah, you're not very good at those things, are you? No, I'm not very good at those things. You're not very good about approaching celebrities, are you? No, I'm not. <laughs> Evidence number one, right here. We have picture. If you could hold this, Jeremy. What is happening in this picture right here, Sarah? <laughs> there, there is me and my and my friend Jess. Oh, and there's a celebrity. But you know what? We we do all. Drew's very very friendly. There's she's Drew Barrymore. Like, she's the kind of celebrity that approaches you and makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. You don't need to go up to her and be like, hey, I really like your... You just... She comes up to you. So you're afraid of Pamela Anderson, but not afraid of Drew Barrymore. Pam had come up to me and been like, sweetie. I would have been... I would have, I would have offered the information. I just can't make the first move. That's it. I don't like to make the first move. But I love this photo here, Sarah. I think it totally. Does this symbolize backstage life here, Jeremy? This is pretty symbolic. It's true. I love that picture of Jess too, because she comes to all of our shows in New York, and she's the happiest. See. And I love how you're kind of almost looking pseudo in Paris. That the that Drew Barrymore is there. No, I, that's just a me face. I'm like, oh, huh. oh, come on, that's a Drew Barrymore behind you face, isn't it? It could be, it could be. I, I mean, probably not. Probably not, but you're reading way too much into this. And this was at a church too, wasn't it? Church yeah, church basement. I just think it's a great sort of picture of like what's going on backstage here. Like you're just there's the arcade fire, and there's Sarah kicking it out, and there is Drew Barrymore, and I don't even know where Jeremy is. He's run away. I think I'm here. We were very right here. Super sick. Look. Yeah, that was a rough time. That was that was the cold season that really hit us hard this year, 2007, <laughs> January. Bad, bad, <laughs> bad news. Jeremy and Sarah from the Arcade Far. I would also like to ask you about Chickpea. That is a band I played in uh, in Ottawa for a while. Yeah. When you were in that band, you had a lead singer, Christine Chesser. Now, I understand that sometimes she would give bad looks to members of the band that made mistakes. Uh, never to me. Have you had lead singers glance at you, angry? Uh, I have had a couple looks thrown my way, it's true, yeah. But not from her. We got along swimmingly. How about you, Sarah? Have you had any bad looks thrown at you by Wynn or anybody else? No. No. And when I say lead singer of the Arcade Fire, how dare I say that? There's no lead singer in the Arcade Fire, is there? Sure there is. <laughs> Win, Win, Win's the lead singer, for sure. See, look at how many songs that he is the lead singer for. He definitely beats out Regine. So has he given you any bad looks then? Not at all. Has, have you ever given Sarah a bad look? No, but I've been accused uh, at times of giving really dead blank looks, like without knowing it, like... And some old bands, I'd look, you know, I, I didn't realize I was giving a bad look, but I would just look at someone. And after the show, they'd be like, what, like, why are you doing that? Because I just zone out and then give, like, apparently I give nasty looks, but I don't mean to. Jeremy, do you cause problems for the band? No, not at all. Jeremy, 
opposite. What I, does Jeremy call He's the opposite of problems. He's like, he's the get-along guy. Sarah, could you tell me the story about how Jeremy put $50,000 in a paper bag and carried it with him on tour? You mean... That was in like a red, like, cosmetic bag. Yeah, but then we put the cosmetic bag in a paper bag so that it yeah. didn't look like a bag full of money. Yeah, could you explain a bit about this, please, Jeremy? Here's Jeremy, the Arcade Fire, carries on a paper bag with $50,000 in it. I don't think it was 50 but it was definitely 30 ish And uh, we... Like that for a couple days because we just couldn't get to like the right kind of there bank no, account. Only for a couple days, fifty thousand dollars in a paper bag. We had a, we were on tour. We had, we hadn't deposited any of the income of the band on like most of a U.S. tour because all the banks were coastal and we were in the middle of America. And by the end of it, it was just like, oh, the money bag. So I had it. I carried it with me and I played with it like on stage underneath the drum seat because I was so scared. It was, there was a lot of like, who's got the bag? Um, he he the had bag the bag. Yeah, there was a lot of bags. Not the best move we've ever made, but makes a good story. Are your parents proud of the arcade fire, Sarah? Yeah, sure. Now, why would they be proud? Why would a parent be proud of the arcade fire? What achievement do you think might make a parent proud, Jeremy? I think my parent. I mean, my parents have always been happy with me playing music, but this is the first time that I can play music and not borrow money from them like I can pay my own rent and almost pay off my credit card bill so the money connection how about yourself Sarah like Saturday Night Live does that win your parents over no my parents well I'm sure they watched it this time but they're not big like TV people but just like actually they're press suckers every time there's something in like a, a Vancouver paper they're like oh yeah you mean you know they know about the other press too, but they don't like. They're not as in touch with it. But every time there's like a Vancouver thing, they're really happy. How about Saturday Night Live combined with Time Magazine, the cover of Time Magazine? Loved. You know who loved Time Magazine was my grandpa because he saw it in the dentist office and it made his day. And that was actually what we were like afraid of happening. But then it was kind of nice. <laughs> like we don't want the dentist office thing to happen. But then you get a call from your grandpa being like, "This morning I was at the dentist." That's pretty and awesome. That really nice. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Well, I was thinking what really validates is the money thing. And I thought it was exciting that you guys had arrived because you were featured in, if you could hold this, the... What magazine is this? Oh, the Financial Post. The Financial Post. I mean, that is making it. I'm getting confused here. What are you talking about? Where? I don't see it. You're in there somewhere in the Financial Post. Talk, no, talking about your guerrilla marketing campaign. Uh. So is that arriving, making it? In the fin that's making it, isn't it, the Financial Post? This is the kind of thing that parents would enjoy, for sure. Making it in the Financial Post. Now, what was this guerrilla marketing campaign? Well, we... Like, why would the Financial Post be interested? We, uh, Beats me. I think because we, we had the opportunity. We could have sort of followed the mold and done, like, you know, weird normal big band marketing things but instead we sort of we got really lazy about it so the first public things we did about this record were um we started a 1-800 number that but it was kind of a joke it was just kind of weird yeah so we just like got people calling in and it had nothing to do with the band it didn't say anything about the band but eventually it became clear that we were it was our phone number so people started calling for no reason and then when called me and he wanted me to make a, a, a medley song of, of the whole album and they put they made a video clip on their new computer and put it online just like put it up there and it got like a billion jillion hits and then everybody's like oh their viral marketing scheme is in full swing but it was really just like 
you know, when you're so, you're laughing so hard, you're crying. And it's like Wynn and Richard calling me. They're like, we made the stupidest clip I've ever seen. And it's like, it turned into this like new way of promoting an album, but it was really just like having fun with the whole idea. Well, it's total genius because it made it to a financial post, which is, which is, which is no easy feat. Now, continuing on here, I was also curious about the MySpace thing. Is that true? There are a whole bunch of MySpace postings? <laughs> That's I don't get some verification on this. What is the story? Tell us the story first. You know what? I don't even know the story behind that, but I do know that somebody eventually said that there was, the album was going to be a compilation of all sorts of MySpace version, like, songs, but that wasn't started by us or continued by like I just still don't know the whole deal with that but people ran with it like that's where that's why it's really funny that we get in the financial post because like these things get started by someone other than us and somebody runs with it and it becomes really popular but it's like most of those things are like we hadn't even begun like so be it do you feel you're up against the big boys Sarah what do you mean by that? We know the Arcade Fire number two on Billboard. You know, you're playing big gigs. Do you feel you're up against the big boys? Like, up against, like, like uh, who, who did we, like, who got number one when we got number two in the States, but he's dead? Uh, Biggie Smalls. <laughs> We're up against Biggie Smalls, and he's not even alive. But even bands that are alive, for instance, I have some quotes here. When I saw Pearl Jam last year... They played 50 different songs in two nights, whereas the Arcade Fire, when they played two nights... Played probably 15 tops. Like the... 15 a night. We play 15 a night. Yeah. So here it is. You're going to compare it to Pearl Jam. You know, Pearl Jam can do it. So should the Arcade Fire. You know, up against a big boy. I think that's what we're up against is the so should they. Yeah. Which we're trying not to do. That question, which, you know, you're asking. It continues on as well. Like the Grateful Dead and Fish before them, the Arcade Fire, you're getting compared to Fish and the Grateful Dead. Are an amazing jam band. Did you just play some fish on the big screen there? I thought I heard some fish getting played. I don't know. I, we're probably not responsible for that. But what, are you, what are you saying here? I'm saying, like, you're up against the big boys. Like, what does it feel like to be up against Pearl Jam, up against Fish, up against the Grateful Dead? I mean, because now you're in the big leagues. You're getting compared to these bands. You, you know that's not a useful thread. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's... It's, just, it's hilarious. Check this out. Who is... Check out this quote here. Who is Wynn Butler, and why did Fish... Pass him the torch. That's weird. Now, speaking of fish, didn't a fisher come to one of your gigs at Central Park? I, I don't know. Did you see a fish guy watching side stage? No, but we, have, we met Trey Anastasio at, uh, is that his name, his last name? Did I say it right? He, uh, he was at the Grammys, and we were starving. We went to the Grammys because we were tr- trying to see if that was something we wanted to do. Oh, the time we had to eat hot dogs in the arena. And Trey, Trey gave uh, Regina a chocolate bar. That's possibly the nicest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I love the fish. He was so nice. He was like, I think he's been at other shows. He's really apparently very lovely. Lovely. Well, this kind of goes back to it, I guess, what I was really wondering is, why do you think people like the Arcade Fire? Why do people like the Arcade Fire, Sarah? Why does the guy from Fish like the Arcade Fire? Why do people like the Arcade Fire? Why does the guy from Fish give chocolate bars to the Arcade Fire? He probably likes the music. He likes the band, maybe what, what we're doing, you know? Is there any particular sound, or why do you think they like... Why do you think people like the Arcade Fire? Well, I think just personally we're a pretty easy bunch to get along with. Maybe that helps. At the Coachella Music Festival, I understand the backstage holds like a thousand people. Yeah. Like, that's insane. A thousand people are backstage. Like, more people are backstage than sometimes will ever see any band. 
yeah, there's definitely tons of people who don't even see any bands. <laughs> who was backstage there that you might have spotted? My girlfriend took a picture of uh, our friend Chantal with Ron Jeremy. That was a special one. And how about for you, Sarah? What was your favorite celebrity sighting backstage at the 1,000-strong celebrity-filled Coachella Festival? Was it Paris Hilton watching CSS? It was probably Bjork. <laughs> yeah. Although she wasn't backstage. No, but I mean, that's like who I was excited to see. I can't. But can't your manager set you up with Bjork? Because you're managed by the same person that manages Bjork, right? Yeah. That's the, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm sure it'll actually happen organically one of these days. It hasn't happened yet? I really like her. You know, I was saying, like, we wouldn't know, like, there's no, it's not like we force the issue, like, oh, we have to meet this celeb or whatever, because it's like, then you're faced with them, and you're like... And that's not because your manager manages Bjork, your manager also manages Arcade Fire, you think that maybe you'd stumble across each other? No, we just, we're actually on the same, like, touring, she played here last night, it'll happen. And I have an idea for you, Bjork has a son, apparently. That's the rumor. That is 21 years old. So? so we could jam with the Arcade Fire. What about Bjork's son joining the Arcade Fire? I'm sure she would have him first. That would be really cool, wouldn't it? Sure. <laughs> don't know the guy. I don't know. Yeah, what, what does he play? <laughs> Jeremy and Sarah of the Arcade Fire, you played the United Palace in New York, one of your gigs in New York. Totally. I saw some clips of that, and it was like a stage invasion going on? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> The worst. Yeah, that was awful. Why was that an awful stage invasion? Didn't you invite the stage invasion? When me, you know, it was like, come on, everyone, let's have fun on stage. And but and they forgot that people turn into like wild animals when they get up on stage. Yeah, I'm it was sure not. It was I mean, it was fun, and nobody got hurt, but it, except for a security guard who got went to the hospital because he. Face. Oh yeah, and Sarah got elbowed. Mic and mic stand. Yeah. That's what I was curious about. How much in trouble do you get if you're a famous band for finding people up on stage? Did you get in trouble for having that big stage invasion? I, trouble, but nothing terrible actually happened. But we, got- we might not even know. Like, we could have been fined, but we wouldn't know about it. But I'm like, I'm, I follow the rules. Really, like, I, I'm not a rule breaker. So when that kind of stuff happens, I get really uncomfortable. What theaters have you guys played? You played a theater in Chicago that looked really, really interesting, really decorated. What sort of neat theaters have you played? Uh, it's just called the Chicago Theater. And then last time we played there, la- two years ago, we played the Riviera Theater. Since uh, Sweden that we just played was really beautiful, and that was on this crazy island. Yeah, it was called Circus, and it's on an island that's all, like, museums and weird old, like, kind of circusy buildings, and it's super, super, super beautiful. That place was gorgeous. Do you guys add anything extra to the performance when Wynn is up there singing, aside from the stage invasion? No. I mean, what do you mean? Well, I mean, are there any extra sort of gags? I understand that Wynn likes duct taping people together. Is this true that Wynn duct tapes uh, people together? Will's done that a couple times. Just because, uh, f- you know, there's a, there are a few songs where people have their hands free, and then it's sort of unpredictable what people are going to get up to. When Will specifically gets up to some trouble sometimes. But for the... You guys, have you guys got duct tape together at all? Yeah. I love the way she answers. Yeah. Yep. You have. You've been duct taped. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Winding up here, just lastly, I'd like to know, what does Jeremy do? What does Jeremy do to the arcade fire, Sarah? He plays really good drums. <laughs> and what does Sarah do for the arcade fire? Sarah plays uh, some kick-ass violin. 
Here's a fan's interpretation of what Jeremy does for the Arcade Fire. From Bullseye, just when you thought the Arcade Fire had gone all sissy, Jeremy pulls out a snappy snare drum pattern to give no cars a kick. Sweet. Jeremy to the rescue. Great. <laughs> That's a great validation from a fan. That's pretty nice. And you did grow up at Merville in Vancouver Island. Did you grow up in Merville on Vancouver Island? Yeah, that's true. Did you go to any gigs when you were growing up? Like, did you go to any Vancouver Island gigs, or did you move to Vancouver? What bands do you remember from BC? Like, what BC influences are there possibly on you? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Courtney, and it was pretty easy to get over here. Like, I came over to Vancouver as much as the next guy on the island. But there was, um, I mean, the Roots Roundup were huge in our town, and I actually, like, played with them once, and that was so fun because they were, like, this touring band, and they were super, super sweet, and they totally had me up and played a show with them, and it was like, oh, I want to be in a band. Well, I was in a band, but we were not... As good as them. <laughs> Roots Roundup were amazing. They did the tour of all like the tree planters and stuff, like the tree planting tour. For BC, they were, yeah. I mean, I don't and even. Cool ska elements too, as well. And back then, like that was the early 90s, and it was, it, it, they, were, they were perfect for the time and place. You know. Roots Roundup, make it. Well, thanks so much, Arcade Far. I really appreciate your time. A couple quick questions here, though. I was wondering sponsorships. You're sponsored, aren't you? Uh, you know, I don't know. Not really. For, like, drums, aren't you? Some cymbals? I got some free cymbals and a drum kit, but I haven't signed anything. So what sort of sponsorships could there be for Arcade for A lot of you on stage, do you get any violin sponsorships? Are there violin sponsorships? I have, we all have Moog, like, Moog is, gives us stuff, but they don't give it to us for free. We just, but we have, like, a, a deal with them, and that's, that's what I have. I have a really, really great Moog pedal. And we kind of do the thing where, like, we break so much stuff where, like, I got a free drum kit and Win put a hole in it the first day, like, the third day I got it, and so I had to buy another, you know what I mean? It actually works out probably in their favor. It's like, here's a free drum kit. You're going to buy the next one when you smash the shit out of it. It's like... I would love a violin sponsorship, but I don't think you can get those because, like, my instruments are... Your wish can come true. Right now, look in the camera right now, Sarah. What would you like? Uh, uh, look in the camera right now. Uh, a new old violin, like a 100, 150-year-old thing that I, I can not worry about so much. I'm just covered in mud here. Did Will's dad work for Dick Cheney? I have no idea. Yeah, his dad worked for Dick Cheney. I don't know. Halliburton. No idea. No idea. His dad worked for Halliburton. And another question here that I want to ask, Regine's great-great-cousin, did he fight with Castro? I, I don't know. I don't know. There's some connection to Castro in there somewhere. So... I knew this, see, and this is what I'm hoping. Lastly here, the last time, a couple years ago, I talked to Richard. Now I've had the chance to speak to you, Jeremy, yes. and you, Sarah. It's been two years. How long will it take me before I finally interview the entire Arcade Fire, judging that we do this at two-year intervals? Uh, probably another four years, three or four years. I was thinking like 14 years. It's probably just like seven people in the band, two, two a year. Two, two a year, but there's like a year break in between. Yeah. So, yeah. so hopefully in 14 years, we'll have the answer as to whether when really his dad worked for Dick Cheney and we'll be able to find out about the Castro. Because there is some Castro connection, but I guess we'll have to wait on that one, right? Possibly. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Jeremy and Sarah from the Arcade Fire. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? Nope. Nope. Why should people care about the Arcade Fire, Jeremy? Why should people care? Uh, 
I don't know. That's the worst answer possible. I think because we have a good, you know, like we we do it for the. I think we do it for the right reasons, and we're just having fun, and you know, we're not abusing any of the luck that we've come across. That's a good reason. Say like our message is that you should care about us. Yeah. That's not a message that. Great. Well, thanks so much for your time. Keep on rocking in the free world and do 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 do. Do. Oh! <laughs>
And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. That was the Arcade Fire with The Well and The Lighthouse. And before that, cheese-flavored song, an interview with The Arcade Fire. Coming up, another interview with another band with the letter A, AFI. But before we get to AFI, another band from the San Francisco Bay Area, although AFI aren't from the Bay Area, they're originally from that grass valley north of San Francisco, we are going to play the High Fives and their song all about riding the BC Ferries called I'll Take You There and then we're going to play the Nair Duels and then we're going to explore with AFI their connections to the Nair Duels and the High Fives so here are the High Fives singing all about the BC Fairies and in the Nair Duels and in an interview with AFI Well just tell me where you want to go I'll take you there cause it's all the same to me just to be by your side makes the miles go by, so come on and fly with me. Oh, let's pack our bags, baby, we're split. Don't make a map, honey, let's take a trip. I really don't care what we do, just as long as I know I'll be there with you. We can go out, come back in, top the coast, maybe go for a swim. Should be getting clear that I need the status here. If you're pointing north and kind of sense So just tell me where you want to go. I'll take you there, cause it's all the same as me. We could go for a walk, a stroll, have a talk, talk and chat. I really wouldn't care, nothing at all, just as long as I'm where you're at. So just tell me, when you close your eyes and I'll tell you, what we're passing by, just tell me. If you've seen it before, then I'll pull up this pile and another year. I want to know, I gotta know, how can I know? I want to know, want to know, let's go now. Take it there, cause it's all the same to me Just to be right side, make some miles go by So come on and fly with me Oh, we can go to the drain, go to a movie, try to make It's a fluid, maybe we could go to some off The same land that you can, bring it back to the time You stand, we could go to the place far, far away The same left, maybe we could lose our way Spend the rest of our lives on this quest of liquor, lies, and turning left I wanna know. I
uh, in between bands, we jumped up and used someone's equipment to play three songs, which is technically the first time we performed on that stage. Later, we played our first show that we were actually on the bill uh, with Rancid and uh, the Parasites and the Hellbillies at, uh, at Gilman Street. But we've played there many times, a lot of great bands. Right now, you're too big to play Gilman, aren't you? Yeah, it wouldn't be really fun because everybody gets packed in there and it's just everybody's crammed together and it's hot and no one can move and everybody's getting crushed. Yeah. But you guys also have the attendance record, don't you? Because I heard it's like AFI and Fugazi and maybe Jawbreaker set the attendance records yeah. at Gilman. And, and Op Ivy, they, they all had it. I think um, last time we played there, we I, th- I think we took took the, the Fugazi one, which was the one after... Uh, after Op Ivy, but we haven't played there in years. It became, like Jade said, it became so uncomfortable for everybody involved that uh, I think we stopped playing there in 97. Uh, but we're not allowed to play there anymore anyway because we're on a major label. Although I think Green Day snuck back for a gig, they didn't did. they? Yeah, they played. It was the Adeline show, right? We were talking about that the other day. Um, yeah, Green Day jumped up on stage during a Adeline Records uh, party that they were having there. Because I think this is what's really important is like Gilman really helped produce all these great bands. Yeah, and it doesn't always get its due, does it? No, it seemed like a, maybe about five years ago everybody kind of knew what Gilman Street was. Yeah. Back when, you know, Rancid and Green Day and all that. But now you don't hear much talk about it, but it's still going strong, you know? Do you have a favorite Gilman memory, like the girl from the Insates and the banana? We were just talking, that's what we were talking about yesterday, like a few days ago. That's what I was talking about Gilman Street. I have a, I have a fifth favorite Gilman memory about the girl from the Insates. Could you explain about that, Davey Havoc and Avon? I was there for the banana thing, but it was, uh, it was right before the uh, banana event where Miriam uh, uh, fornicated with a banana on stage. Um, I had been outside, and I we lived in a small town, and it was, I believe, the first time I'd actually gone to Gilman Street. I think it was 1991, and um, I was outside, and this girl with bright blue hair and matching blue and white striped tights, and I had a thing for blue hair, was standing on the corner, and she walked right up, right up to me and just started talking to me and said I was cute, and I almost died. It was it was amazing. And it, then later, she had a banana inside her, and I didn't make the connection until later. But um, the Insaints are playing again, actually. Uh, right before we left, I saw a flyer for an Insaints show. I thought she died. Yeah, I, I, unfortunately she did, but I guess they're playing without her, which is very strange. Well, it's great to continue the tradition. Yes, I remember uh, the, a guy named Jeremy Spew that was worked security there found a dead baby in a dumpster by Gilman and, and brought... Not in a dumpster. He dug it up. Oh, I heard it was on a dumpster. No, no, no. There's a couple baby stories. Wasn't it like Lint from Rancid okay. dug up a baby okay. and then somebody okay. brought okay. a baby to the actual club? Here's the story. Here's the story. It wasn't It wasn't Lint. It was Brett who found it while they were practicing there. And Jeremy, um, which he talks about um, candidly in some of his spoken word, which is very good. Jeremy's a great guy, um, was with some friends a few nights prior. Um, they were not in their right frame of mind, and they dug up very old baby out of a graveyard freaked out that they had the baby didn't know what to do with it so hit it in the, the then sound booth of Gilman Street where um, bands used to practice at Gilman Street if you worked there you could practice on one of the weekends uh, during the day we used to practice at Gilman Street um, the baby still haunts Gilman Street and the baby still haunts Gilman Street Brett found it in the uh, in the sound booth and uh yeah, j- j- Get the story straight from AF? Yeah, AFI. And the 924 Gilman book, it has that all in there. Yeah, there it is. It's all in there. A lot of great bands. I mean, we saw, you know, Sam I Am and Jawbreaker and Green Day and Crimp Shrine used to play there and Filth and, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of different scenes. There was a time when bands from all sorts of different uh, genres of music would sell out Gilman Street. You could go see Bikini Kill Packet. You could go see Rocket from the Crypt. Or the Mentors. 
Or the mentors. I don't know. Yeah, the mentors would pack Played the same night as the Yeasty Girls. Yes, exactly. <laughs> very, very well said. These are all these oh, so cool bands that have played around San Francisco and stuff. And I think every band is connected. One band that I really loved and didn't really get a lot of attention was oh, the Ne'er-Do-Wells. If you could hold on to this for a second. To think of this, who man. turned on? Who turned into the High Fives. Right. Didn't they have a connection with Brent Cheese at Brent's TV as well? Yes, they did. Exactly. Now, yes. I wondered about the connections between AFI here and the Ne'er-Do-Wells. Because there are some. There is. There are connections. I was in Redemption 87. And right. the drummer. Nerve Agents. Right. The drummer, Gary, was later on in the High Fives, High which fives. was the incarnation of the Nerdy Wills. And the drummer, Al, of the Nerdy Wills at this time. Uh, later was in, or, or, or what, earlier was in Green Day. Um, and of course, you had some releases on. Adeline Records, from our, who, is, who is owned by our friend Billy, who was in. Green Day. And John here, his brother was in a band, Sweet Baby. Sweet Baby, right. Okay, so Sweet Baby, then when, uh, was there any Green Day connection to Sweet Baby? I just thought they were hugely influential. Oh, okay. Sweet, children, Sweet Children, which Green Day children. started out as. Yeah, so. you could do that. Green Day was first called Sweet Children before they were called Green Day. And they found a dead baby on Gilman Street. Right. A sweet dead baby. Uh, they Also, Sweet Baby was called Sweet Baby Jesus prior to being called Sweet Baby. And they have a song called She's from Salinas. Which is near where AFI is from. And your drummer Gary from Redemption 87 was in the High Fives, who right. were the Nerdy Wells. I love Gary, he's a great drummer. Gary's awesome, really nice guy too. Yeah, yeah. He's actually currently doing, working on a project with Eric Ozine from the Nerve Agents uh, right now. And a guy from Inside Out too, right? Is Helmet in it? I don't think Helmet's playing with them. What, what can you guys tell me about this? Can you clear us up? Rage Against the Machine, okay. were they once a straight edge band called Inside Out? No. Uh, as you know, <laughs> I know you know the answer to this question. No, <laughs> really? Do no, not? I don't know. Please tell me. There's some connection. Okay. Yeah. Exactly well, Zach De La Rocha was a singer of straight edge hardcore band Inside Out, which included, um, what is grandma's real name? Mark. <laughs> Mark, our friend Mark, who, uh, played guitar in Inside Out, was also in Gorilla Biscuits. Um, and he was in that band with Zach Inside Out, uh, who were a straight edge hardcore band on Revelation Records. And that is the connection to Rage Against the Machine. Uh, Zach is no longer straight edge. AFI, Jade, yes. and Davey. Yes. I'd like to ask you about Leopold Records. What can you tell me about Leopold Records? <laughs> Leopold Records was a record store that um, we didn't spend much time in. It's in Berkeley. It's on Durant. Um, but Leopold's Records was uh, more urban, if you will. And you hung out on the steps of Leopold. Yes, once Leopold Records closed, it, be it became... It closed before it became Tower. Oh, you're talking about the Tower Steps? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, okay. That was Leopold's Records. Oh. Before it was Tower, it was Leopold's Records, and we used to sit around on these steps, which are not these steps. If you go to Berkeley and you were to talk about these steps, they were steps prior to these, which are actually on the UC Berkeley campus, where everybody used to hang out. But then we moved to our own steps, which were the steps in front of Leopold's Records on Durant's, which, which, is, which became Tower, which is now closed again because Tower. That's some deep knowledge. Yeah, yeah that's, some, that's some deep knowledge. We used to just sit there and... Um, sit there. Did you guys live in a frat house? Did you ever live in a frat house? Yes, this, this was prior to us living in that frat house. I actually have lived in two frat houses. Were you in a frat house at that time? Yes, it was no longer a frat house. It was just a really rundown kind of squat house, but a lot of people lived there from the Distillers and Nick from Tiger Army, and we all kind of lived in the same house. Yeah, it's true. Because um, I had all these visions, you guys coming back from the shows, you know, tiptoeing back through the frat house. There and were no, there were both frat houses that I lived in and the frat house that we lived in together. There were no frat boys. 
during our stay there until the very end, at the at the end of our frat house, which um, which actually Matt Freeman used to refer to as the squat. It wasn't technically a squat, but there were like 22, 24 people living in this one house, and it was communal living, and it was disgusting and awful, but um, it's what we could afford. And uh, right at the end of our stay there, the frat's charter got reinstated, and frat boys started moving in. They couldn't kick out tenants who were there, but as soon as anybody moved out, they moved in frat boys. So all of a sudden, we were in a, an active frat, yeah. and it was total bum out. It was awful. It, it was cool, though. The one, one thing that was cool about it was um, the, what, what's the frat leader called? The what, like president? The president of the frat or whatever was gay, and he was secretly gay, and he and his boyfriend used to have sex in the showers, uh, like in the communal showers, and the rest of the frat boys didn't know, which, which was nice. Winding up here, AFI, <laughs> I would like to ask you about the last time we talked. I don't know if you remember, but the last time we talked in 2003... Was it 2003? Wait, we spoke We spoke here... On tape. Oh. Uh, oh. The last time yes. I talked to you on tape, you told the people, Davey, you said, quote, it's not cool to grab Davey's balls. It's true. Under any circumstances. So, did people listen? Do people grab Davey's balls anymore at all, G? I don't know. Do people grab Davey's balls? Very rarely. Because on that interview, you said to the nation, you said to the world, don't grab my balls, because I was in regards to an incident that happened in Edmonton, Alberta. Yes, I don't know if Italy happened after that. Um, that was actually not my balls. It was the other matter of... At uh, least, you know, yeah. get permission. Yeah, which I'm not going to give you permission. So not has it helped, though? Anyone. Did it help at all? Yes, I guess it did. That public service announcement a few years ago did help. It did, thank Yes, thank you for listening. What is the worst injury that you've got? Like, you had some teeth problem, you've been in the pit, was sick of it all? Did you get... <laughs> oh, you mean uh, off show? Yeah, like, have you been in the pit recently? Um, I haven't been on the dance floor. Have you been in the pit at all, Jade? Not recently, but, you know, I used to get pretty messed up back in the day when the pits were still kind of dangerous. Yeah, I, I mean, I broke my nose, um, chipped teeth. Uh, I just sprained my ankle on stage in Scotland about a month ago, but that's not... That's yeah, but was sick of it all. Like, you in the pit was sick of it all. That is... I mean, I, can you imagine that? I, he got I, his feelings hurt. Yeah, I got my feelings hurt really bad. I actually... I, a sick of it all show um, with the BC Boys in San Francisco in 1996. Um... I was with Jeff, our base, our bass player from that era, and could uh, you just demonstrate how you would do it just to the camera? I can't. I can't. You have to get get me on the floor. That was pretty good, though. Maybe you that can demonstrate it. Yeah, that was pretty. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. It. that's it. Yeah. Exactly I um, I gave Jeff a black eye right before a video shoot, which was I felt really, really bad. So, um, but it happens. That's the risk. Well, that was the risk. That was a risk then. I, it's, I don't know if it's the risk now. It is. Depends on who you see. And coming up, you're going to be playing Summerfest with Weird Al. What? Weird Al and AFI on a bill. Oh, in Milwaukee. That's fantastic. Has anything ever happened like that? Is that the best? It is pretty much the best. I'm pretty excited. Happened. Nothing that good, though. No, nothing, nothing like that. He's really talented. Have you guys heard about a book called My War, Killing Time in Iraq by Colby Buzzle? Yes, absolutely. I ran into Colby Buzzle about a few weeks ago. And he's like an ex-GI that used to go see AFI at Gilman, and now has written an interesting book? He was a hardcore kid from the Bay Area, and he went to Iraq, and yeah, and he wrote a book about it. Nick 13 and I were just talking about this the other day. We were looking for uh, an article in details that he's recently written, but we were discussing how this is not his first uh, stint at journalism. He used to do a zine called The Insubordinator back when we used to go to Gilman Street, and it was fantastic. We used to interview AFI and a bunch of other bands all the time, but it was a great zine because it went contrary to the outlook. It was a very, very peak 
DC time uh, in Berkeley and in the scenes. I mean, very, very extreme uh, in retaliation to the conservatism. Conservative is that a word? Conservatism. Conservatism of the 80s, which it was coming out of. So it was very, very politically correct, and this scene wasn't. It was. Uh, it took itself far less seriously than most of the scene, and uh, it was great. We loved him for it because it was funny, and people would just freak out over it. It was. It was a good time. I want to lastly ask you just about the big picture and so. Gilman, AFI, army vets and stuff. Are you seeing a lot of that? Have you been asked to play for troops? What's your connection and all that stuff? Because to be in that book, that's quite interesting. Oh, uh, wait, what? <laughs> have you played for the troops at all? Have you been asked to play for the troops? Uh, have you had many no. GIs coming to gigs and stuff? Oh, well, there's been some GIs. We never actually played for the troops. No. Um, no. I mean, we've gotten some nice letters uh, from GIs to say that, you know, our music has helped get them through that, which I'm sure is absolute hell. But people should check out that book, though. Yes, people should check out Colby's book for sure, for sure. And the Gilman 924 book oh, as well. And, and this Duh. book, which, which does have a connection, as tenuous as it may be, it does. they do have connections. Basically, you could say there would be no AFI if there wasn't Gilman, maybe? Uh, well, AFI existed before. We can go that far, right, Jay? But yeah, I think that's totally accurate. I think that's 100% accurate. Thank you very much, AFI. I'd like to lastly, lastly ask you here, why do mini trucks suck? Don't at all. Who gave you that information? I can't believe you say something like I love that. You gave me that information. No, I drive yeah, a mini truck. About it. See, that was before I was in the band. If I would have been in the band, it would have been mini trucks are great. To tell you the truth, I mean, I begrudgingly sang the song. I actually didn't write the words to that song. I'm sorry. You'll have to ask Mark. Thanks for clearing that up. No problem. Well, thanks so much, AFI. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? Um, Milk Kills. Thanks for treating us so well, Canada, over the years. We'll be back. No more ball grabbing. Oh, yes. Keep the ball grabbing at a, at a minimum. Thank you very much. We'll come back in three years and see what happened. Definitely. Yes. Well, thanks so much, AFI. Keep on rocking in the free world and do 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 Yeah. 
and you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, a human serviette radio show. You just heard AFI with Open Your Eyes, and before that, Cruise Control from AFI, and before that, an interview with AFI. Now, to end the Nardwar, a human serviette radio show, some of the high fives, the band that AFI talked Interestingly, about the high fives. Welcome to my mind. Well, I'm stuck in a rut, and I can't get up. Oh, well, baby, kick my jack, and now I'm looking up. Oh, my, 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 my heart stops flowing, my heart says no. Kid. Is 
Yeah. Wow! 